2: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order.
1: That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, it's Manveen. This August, on Mondays and Fridays, we're listening back to some of the episodes from the past year that have stayed with us. In December... We spoke to the Sunday Times special correspondent, Josh Glancy, about the German prince who was involved in a plot to kill Hitler and about his grandson's ongoing battle to recover his family's ancestral castle and lands. It was the summer of 1944. The Second World War was staggering on. But as battles raged on all fronts, History was almost thrown off course. An attempt was made to assassinate Hitler by some of his most trusted senior officers.
0: Until now, all historians have assumed or or actually stated that the assassination attempt was the idea only of a small group of Prussian military and aristocrats.
1: But was that the whole story? startling new evidence could force us to rewrite history.
2: It was actually known as the SIS in the Special Intelligence Service, which became MI6. They almost never declassify files.
1: And what of the German aristocrats who tried to bring down the Nazi regime? Should their families still be punished for their part in the plot? We hear from a German prince seeking justice.
0: The outside world is watching now and they cannot any longer sweep us under the carpet.
1: You're listening to Stories of Our Times from the Times and the Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the Prussian prince, the MI6 spy, and the plot to kill Hitler.
2: So on July 20th, 1944, we're at the Wolf's Lair, Adolf Hitler's Eastern Front Headquarters. It's a ...forest complex, a reinforced bunker in East Prussia... ...where he would go when they were running the invasion of Russia... ...and he would be there having his high-level strategy meetings... ...and that sort of thing.
1: That's the Sunday Times special correspondent, Josh Glancy.
2: On the 20th of July, one of these meetings took place. You have a a group of senior German officers gathered in the conference room... ...in the Wolfslair, and one of these officers is... Colonel Klaus von Stauffenberg.
0: Klaus von Stauffenberg, 36, a colonel on the general staff. He is sickened in 1938 by Hitler's treatment of the Jews and by Nazi brutality and joins the resistance.
2: Von Stauffenberg has two bombs with him that day, one of which he manages to arm. He leaves the bomb in a briefcase under the conference table and the idea is that the bomb will blow up and kill the officers in the room, including Hitler and that Stauffenberg and his associates, who are a group of senior military officers in the German army, will then launch a coup following Hitler's death and end the war. And that's the plan.
1: So he's managed to get in the room. He's managed to plant this bomb under the table. What happens next?
2: Colonel Heinz Brandt, who was in the room, actually moves the briefcase behind the leg of the conference table. You can imagine this is probably a sort of thick Heavy conference table they're sitting around, not a not a folding trestle. Brandt is killed in the explosion, but much of the force of the blast, and bear in mind they only used one bomb, not two, is absorbed by this conference leg table. And so Hitler, his trousers are singed and tattered. And he has a perforated eardrum, but escapes pretty much fully intact and sees this as a great miracle, a sign of sort of divine destiny, that he was destined to survive. Now, this was not the first attempt on his life, but it was easily the most significant and the closest to killing him.
1: I mean, they came so close. If they'd used the second bomb, that probably would have done it. What happened to that second bomb?
2: They were arming the bomb in the bathroom, Stauffenberg and his assistant. A guard knocked on the door to tell them that the meeting's starting, and they had to run off to the meeting and didn't have time to enable the second bomb.
1: Presumably when they heard it explode, they thought Hitler was dead.
2: So Stauffenberg left the conference room with his assistant. They bluffed their way out of the Wolfslair complex and made a run for it. And yes, Stauffenberg thought they'd done it. In fact he phoned some of his conspirators to say, it's done, he's dead. And then they started hearing other information that actually he wasn't dead and it was total confusion reigned and it wasn't clear for a while what had
0: happened. Radio Berlin issues a communique. There had been an attack on the Fuhrer's life, but Hitler is alive and will speak on the radio shortly.
1: And what happened to them? When this plot failed, what happened to all of the plotters?
2: Well, you can imagine Hitler wasn't delighted, uh, this attempt on his life and how close it had got. The Gestapo went on a terrifying rampage, frankly. They arrested 7,000 people. They executed nearly 5,000 people.
1: Wow. The
2: time was shortly after 11pm,
0: July 20th, 1944. An army firing squad, in the lights of a car shining on the four men, did the job. 5,000 more were to die before the bloodbath was over.
2: Some of him had nothing to do with the plot. Basically anyone who was found to be connected to it was tortured, interrogated, executed. It was, yeah, it was a really vile bloodbath, frankly.
0: Stauffenberg's last cry on that night, long live our blessed Germany.
1: Stauffenberg may have planted the bomb, but behind him was a network of plotters, anti-Hitler aristocrats, one of whom was...
2: Prince Friedrich zu Sonsbarut, and he's from the very old Prussian landowning family. They have huge estates in Brandenburg, Silesia. He wasn't involved in the actual assassination attempt. What he was was a very large landowner, and he happened to own an estate very close to the German army headquarters in East Prussia. The plotters, under the cover of going for a jolly horse ride on this estate, would turn up there and use the castle uh, and the estate to plan in private, to talk in private. So he was basically a host, a facilitator, if you like, for the plotters. After the plot failed, the Gestapo soon came knocking at his door. He was waiting for them with a pistol, but they they managed to subdue the old prince and took him to the Gestapo House prison in Berlin, which was a terrible place, frankly. And the he was police. there for nine months and tortured, but not killed. Interestingly, he wasn't executed.
1: That's interesting. How did he manage to escape death?
2: Heinrich Himmler, who was head of the SS and effectively number two in the Nazi party, wanted to build up a personal fortune, personal fiefdom. He hoped one day maybe to succeed Hitler. Himmler basically wanted to take this huge rich estate for himself. So rather than put this man on trial and have him executed, because then obviously the land would then revert to the Nazi government, Himmler basically confiscated it through the Gestapo effectively to try and take it for himself. So having been tortured, the old prince was then basically just exiled and ended up in Namibia on a tiny little sheep farm. And it was all a long way from his grand Prussian estate.
1: Well, that raises another really interesting question, which is with these Prussian officers, do we know what they hoped to achieve with Hitler's assassination? Were they anti-the Nazi regime or were they just anti-Hitler? Would they have replaced him with an equally far-right government?
2: They had a whole plan to end the war. They wanted to kill Goering and Himmler, Hitler's chief lieutenants as well, and they wanted to basically launch a coup to overthrow the entire Nazi government and they would end the war and basically try and wipe Nazism out entirely. They felt that it had become a stain on on Germany uh, and they wanted it to end.
1: So Prince Friedrich was exiled in Namibia, his land confiscated by the Nazis in retaliation for the failed plot to kill Hitler. But that's not where the story ends, because now his grandson, Prince Frederick V, wants the land back.
0: My name is Frederick and I'm a farmer's son. I come from a long line of timber farmers. We've been in the town and around the town of Barut in Germany for at least 500 years already until my grandfather had his properties confiscated by Heinrich Himmler and was banished from, from his home and his ancestral lands.
1: I feel it's very modest of you to describe your your family as just timber merchants, really. I mean, um, you ha- had titles.
0: Well, the monarchy was abolished after the First World War already in Germany, so the titles don't mean anything. They're only part of the name these days in Germany, and we have the same rights and privileges as any other German citizen. And obviously, one expects to be treated equally and not uh, discriminated against, which is the current experience that we're unfortunately having at the moment.
1: Well, take me back to how this all began. I mean, tell me a bit about your grandfather, Prince Friedrich.
0: Well, my grandfather left the armed forces after the First World War, because he had seen all the horrors and the carnage and had become a pacifist, in fact. And the the main reason, though, was that he wanted to avoid having to swear the oath of allegiance to Hitler because he felt that he was a madman and a cretin and, and, and an imbecile and that he would run Germany into the ground. And he always said, if I can shoot the bastard myself, I'd do it. The only problem is I can't get close enough to him.
1: And his grandfather wasn't the only one.
0: My grandmother was given the, the bronze medal for the German mother after she would borne five children, and she sent it back immediately with uh, a note saying, I bear my children for my husband and God alone. They both had the same attitude. My grandfather would not employ anyone who was a member of the Nazi party. He refused to give the Nazi salute, and he would not allow any of the employees to give the Nazi salute either.
1: By 1943, Prince Friedrich was officially accused of sabotaging the war effort after he refused to supply the Nazis with timber. Despite the risks, the family became even more active in attempts to bring down Hitler.
0: It was being keenly watched by the Nazis as someone who was possibly an enemy of the state already, so he really had to watch himself. What he did was his great friend suggested to him that they should use the back of his house to house a special crack unit of the German intelligence service, because it would provide the perfect cover. The idea was to plan the assassination attempt from there. No one would think that uh, such an elite unit would be uh, housed in the premises of of someone who was already an anti-Nazi.
1: Just talk us through sort of the cast list here. Who are the people working around this HQ? Who were the, the plotters?
0: They were Field Marshal Erwin von Witzleben. They were General von Haase. They were General Ludwig von Beck. There were a, a lot of neighbours like Count Lunar, Count von der Schulenburg, Count von Hardenberg, and, and the list goes on who were part of the military, actually, so they were stationed um, at the military headquarters, which was only 15 kilometres away. And this was ideal because these were all keen equestrians, and my grandfather had a very famous racing stud. So they would come to visit during the daytime, never at night, so that it would give the appearance as though they were making use of my grandfather's horses and riding out into the woods with my grandfather, which had the double advantage that they could not be eavesdropped on while they discussed their plans for the assassination attempt.
1: An attempt that, as we know, would fail.
0: Well, it it went terribly wrong, as, as you know. My grandfather went into a frenzy and asked the staff to light an oven in his study in the middle of summer and was furiously burning documents when a six Gestapo men invaded his study. Well, my, my grandfather suspected something strange was going on and reached into his pocket to pull out his pistol to shoot at them. The men from behind just pulled his jacket over his head to uh, stop him from using his arms and he couldn't get his pistol out and he still told them, uh, you're really lucky that I was too old to get my gun out in time I would have shot you all. He was thrown in in the prison. Obviously, they applied all the usual Nazi methods, such as thumb screws and pulling out fingernails and sleep deprivation and uh, all of that.
1: After nine months of torture at the hands of the Gestapo, Frederick's grandfather was presented with an impossible choice.
0: In order to avoid going in front of Freisler, this notorious show trial judge and the so-called People's Court where everyone was simply executed, hanged actually by piano wire. He could sign away the control over all his property indirectly to Himmler personally via an administrator. And this way, Himmler managed to get complete control of my grandfather's properties.
1: I mean, just give us a sense of, of you know, sort of the portfolio, the, the, the properties and wealth that your grandfather ended up having to sign away.
0: There was uh, one very beautiful castle in Silesia called Klitschdorf, which is now a hotel which was saved by Mrs. Johnson from Johnson Johnson Baby Powder, who was Polish. And then three smaller manor houses in Brandenburg, about 20,000 hectares in Brandenburg, and another 20,000 more or less in Silesia, and everything that went with that sort of operation, sawmills and electricity plants and porcelain factories and glass-blowing factories and fisheries and wineries. All of that was taken by Himmler. My uh, grandmother and the family were thrown out of the the house in Bahut the day after my grandfather's arrest, and they had to find shelter in in a little hut somewhere in in the forest. The Gestapo ransacked all the houses, so all the artwork accumulated over 500 years and more were all put onto trucks and, and taken by the SS. And one of my father's sisters was at a dentist appointment. When she came back slightly later, she tried to get into her house and she couldn't understand what was going on because all these uh, SS were coming out, carrying furniture and smashing some of the paintings. Uh, And she asked what was going on and she was told, this is none of your business, none of this belongs to you anymore.
1: The family were exiled to Africa, And for the last three decades, Prince Frederick and his father before him have fought the German state to reclaim their home.
2: Well, they've wanted it back, obviously, ever since. There wasn't really an opportunity to do anything about it until the Berlin Wall fell because it was under East German control It was effectively part of the Soviet bloc after the war. So there was nothing they could do, really, until the Berlin Wall fell. The current prince's father then immediately launched a lawsuit to have the lands restituted, as as many things that the Nazis stole have been. Not all by any means, but but there has been various types of restitution. Uh, And so they've now been involved in this lawsuit for 32 years since then.
1: And why has it dragged on for so long? I mean, 32 years is a long time for a court case.
2: There's all sorts of legal complications. The the German government claimed that, that the deeds were changed under East German land reform, whereas the prince and his family say, actually, no, the Nazis destroyed the deeds because they were stealing the land. There's been various iterations of the lawsuit. It's been in the federal court. It's been in local courts. They've had some successes, small successes along the way. They were able to buy
0: back some of the castle, which has subsequently been the subject of an arson attack. They laid fire under the roof on the attic, and burnt that down to the extent that it's now not inhabitable and it would cost about £20 I think, to to repair. But the bulk of the estate in Brandenburg,
2: which I think is about 14,000 hectares, remains in the hands of the government. I mean, governments don't like giving back large, expensive portions of land. Clearly, there is a sort of somewhat convoluted paper trail to all of this, and so they haven't been able to gain restitution.
1: The case is ongoing. Later this week, a German court will be presented with fresh evidence, which is significant not just for Prince Frederick's case, but for our understanding of history. Coming up, could MI6 have been involved in the plot to kill Hitler? But first...
0: I'm Matt Lawton, and I'm the Chief Sports Correspondent at The Times. As sports journalists, it's important that we look beyond what we're seeing on the pitch look beyond the action and hold those in power to account. It's essential that we scrutinise, we ask tough questions, we investigate areas where we may believe there's corruption. We can only ask those questions, we can only pursue those kind of stories thanks to the subscribers at The Times and The Sunday Times. So subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and
0: 365-day returns.
1: Prince Friedrich had been part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. When it failed, his property and land had been seized by the Nazis. And in the decades since, First his son and now his grandson have been engaged in legal battles to get their castle back. The German government says the deeds were changed under East German land reform. But the prince and his family say the Nazis destroyed the deeds when they stole the land. And now...
2: There is a new case coming in front of the court, which is how this sort of came into the news again. And the prince is convinced that they have a new document, which they've done chemical analysis of which shows that the the Nazis did destroy the deeds and will prove once and for all their case and they'll get their land back. But they have been disappointed before, so we'll have to see what happens there.
1: This was, as you say, one of the most significant plots to kill Hitler. It came closest to doing it. And now, 77 years later, we've just found out an astonishing part of the story that we had no idea of before. What, what What have you learned?
2: As part of the research for this case,
0: the prince wanted to prove that his grandfather was involved in the plot. We know that the case is proven definitively, and we know that we have the truth on our side. We know what actually happened, and we can prove it. And so they did all this research into the
2: plotters, and uh, a historian called Nigel West, that's his pen name, he used to be a Tory MP called Rupert Allison, discovered this remarkable file on one of the plotters, a guy called Otto John, pronounced Otto-yon. And Otto Jön was a lawyer for Lufthansa. That was his day job. He got away to Spain and then Portugal after the failure of the plot. And British intelligence picked him up there and brought him back to Britain. And for a long time, it was thought that he was just a high-level defector and that, that you know he managed to sort of wangle his way over to Britain. And he then worked for the British intelligence services in Britain. But in the course of researching this case, what Nigel West has found is Otto Jons' recently declassified MI5 file, which shows that actually he was an MI6 spy. It was actually known as the SIS in the Special Intelligence Service, which became MI6. There's a note in his file from the eminent legal scholar and intelligence officer Herbert Hart. And Herbert Hart says in this note, this man was an SIS spy for two years before the July plot.
1: This is significant because Otto Jons wasn't just a lawyer for Lufthansa. He was also a high-level German intelligence officer, and for two years before the plot to kill Hitler, he was secretly reporting to MI6.
0: Nigel West provided us the direct link between Otto John, who was the most important British SIS agent in the whole thing, and Colonel Hansen in the back of my grandfather's house with nobody in between.
1: Colonel Hansen, another plotter, was the head of the German military intelligence, the Abwehr. He was technically working for the Nazis, but we now know he was also secretly spying for British intelligence.
0: The link was that Colonel Hansen was the direct uh, superior of Otto John, the British SIS agent. Otto John had to answer to Colonel Mm. Hansen. Colonel Hansen was a, a double agent, just as Otto John was.
1: So they were able to run sort of a a shadow intelligence.
0: That's exactly, that's what double agents do, exactly that. You put it very well, a, a complete shadow operation. The interesting part of this also is that they ran another line of disinformation back to the Germans via Bletchley Park by providing the Germans with, again via Colonel Hansen, who would then pass this information back to the Germans as though he had deciphered or or caught this information from the British.
1: So Colonel Hansen wasn't just passing on German secrets to the British, he was also deliberately feeding false information to the Germans, including giving them the wrong time and date for the D-Day landings.
0: So all of this was happening out of the back of my grandfather's house, And the um, German judges are still saying, well, it might just be a sheer coincidence that your grandfather was arrested the morning after the failed attempt.
1: We can't be sure if the two double agents would have told their British handlers about their secret plot to assassinate Hitler, but we do know that Otto Jons was in regular contact with the British Secret Service during this period.
2: He met with British intelligence handlers in Spain and Portugal 12 times in the two years before the plot. Now, it's long been thought that British intelligence didn't really know that much about the plot. They had a sense that there was a group of uh, elite German military officers who were plotting against Hitler, but they didn't necessarily know any details when, where, precisely. And after the war, Churchill actually described it as an intelligence failure. He said that he
0: hadn't been given sufficient intelligence and that, that, that they hadn't been on top of this. Until now, all historians have assumed or or actually stated that the assassination attempt was the idea only of a small group of Prussian military and aristocrats. And this makes it
2: look all very different. We don't know exactly Mm. what information was passed to who and when, but we do know that they had this guy who they were talking to regularly, who was very well connected to the plot. His brother was executed as part of the plot. He was intimately connected to some of the central figures in it. Yeah, MI6 had a man inside. It's a fascinating uh, avenue of, of discovery.
1: We clearly don't know whether in all of these 12 meetings they'd been told about the plot. Is there any hint that they might not only have been told about it, they might have been complicit?
2: We can expect that if there was a major involvement, there probably would have been some sort of paper trail that would have turned up by now. So it's more likely that they were informed, but not necessarily involved. There was a lot of scepticism in British political leadership, so Churchill, Anthony Eden, and others about getting involved with this sort of thing. They were worried it would upset the Russians, who were their allies. They were worried about whether they should tell the Americans or not. They were quite wary of these Prussian aristocratic officers and whether they could be trusted, whether they were Nazis or not. The discovery about Otto Yohn's mi MI5 file has is, is happened almost as a as a byproduct, really. And Nigel West is writing a big book about the, the ABVED, German intelligence services, during the war. So he's sort of very much on this subject and has stumbled across this fascinating discovery almost in the process of his research.
1: And with his discovery through this archived MI5 file, will we ever know the extent of MI6's role in this, and the extent of the SIS's role in this? I mean, do they, do they ever declassify files? Will we ever be able to see Otto Yon's own file?
2: They almost never declassify files. They are actually one of the rare intelligence services in the world that promises their sources that their details will never be declassified, and they tend to stick by
1: that. Unusually, compared to other intelligence services, you know the CIA is always declassifying information. We are still very secretive about these things. I mean, it's odd that it's taken us seventy something years to find out that we might have had a role in this plot.
2: There's one thing we know about. The British establishment, and British intelligence services they don't necessarily like to change their ways. People obviously were given various insurances. There is tradecraft to protect. So there is still a wealth of information we don't know and, and may never know about, about what MI6 has been up to over the last 70 years.
1: And with this court case, which is now ongoing, are there many others? Is, is, the, is the Prince uh, a one-off or are there lots of people in Germany who are still trying to re- regain old lands and, and property that the Nazis took off them?
2: The Prince's case is a rather unusual one, but he has suggested that you know, there are other families, you know, some of them Jewish families, who, who had things stolen by the Nazis and haven't necessarily been able to get them back. So it would be an interesting eye-catching moment for these lands to be restituted. There might be other cases and, and other claims against the German government that would be encouraged by that.
1: And we do still sort of hear that you know, the restitution of Nazi gold, for example, is still ongoing too. Why do we think Germany's taking so long?
2: Germany paid a lot of reparations. It has fully acknowledged its crimes during the war. But w- what we know about all governments is that... The- <laughs> They're they're bureaucratic, they're slow, they're obstructive, and they don't necessarily like to give things back that that they own. And so the wheels of of justice do turn very slowly. You're never going to be able to fully pay back for everything that the Nazis did.
0: Well, it's extremely frustrating because, of course, when we came back to Europe from our exile in, in Africa, we really had the naive impression that the new Germany had a fabulous democracy with a great constitution and that one could actually achieve justice. As you turn against the state, you come against a brick wall. So it's, it's been very disillusioning. It's been very frustrating.
1: Do you feel a need to keep going with this legal battle?
0: We are very secure that we will win this case if the evidence actually gets taken into account. So far, the courts have been sidestepping them. I mean, it was my grandfather's dying wish and my father's dying wish that I complete this case and win the restitution. The other side can try to obfuscate as much as they like, and in the end, I still have a lot of steam left in me, we will be able to prove the case. But of course, the longer it takes, the more embarrassing it ought to be for the German government, because the outside world is watching now, and they cannot any longer sweep us under the carpet. We can't let a thief get away with stolen goods. It's as simple as that.
1: The case in December was rejected by the court, but the prince is now going to the European Court of Human Rights on the basis of new evidence uncovered by the German government agency involved in the case. Evidence which might be able to prove, once and for all, who the lands belong to. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, The Sunday Times special correspondent Josh Glancy and Prince Frederick Solms Baruth V. You can find all of Josh's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print on Sundays. The producers today were Oliver Adamson and James Shield. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If there's a story you'd like us to look into, if you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you have any thoughts on what you've just heard, do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoy this episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.